and stood by the other cows on the bank of the Nile. And the ugly, thin cows ate up the seven attractive, plump cows. And Pharaoh awoke, and he fell asleep and dreamed a second time. And behold, seven ears of grain, plump and good, were growing on one stalk. And after them sprouted seven ears, thin and blighted by the east wind. And the thin ears swallowed up the seven plump, full ears. And Pharaoh awoke. And behold, it was a dream. So in the morning his spirit was troubled, and he sent and called for all the magicians of Egypt and all its wise men. Pharaoh told them his dreams, but there was none who could interpret them to Pharaoh. Thanks, Faye. What a great song we just sang, wasn't it? Uh, Just so uplifting. Worthy is the Lamb. Let's pray. Gracious God, we just thank you this morning that we can come into your house to worship you, to lift up our voices in song and praise. Father, you are worthy. And we have lifted up your name this morning through communion, through our time together. And our hearts just give you praise, Lord, for all that you have done for us. Lord, we just honour you this morning as we just share in your word. And we just ask, Father, that uh, you will rest heavily on our hearts and in our minds, that you will give us clarity and wisdom in what is next, in our lives and how to live them for you and to give you glory. In Jesus' name, amen. Some questions up on the screen. What did you learn? So... What are you going to learn today? What's going, and what's God going to say to you in your heart? And also, what will you do with your hands? So when you leave here, yes, we can talk about it out in the foyer. So what are we going to do? What, what did we learn? What did God say to us today? But as we all know, today is Mother's Day. And this is a special message to my wonderful wife, Rosalind, best mum ever. And also to my, uh, to my mum out in Roma, who's watching online, I believe, uh, later on today or uh, in the next few days. So, yeah, happy Mother's Day, mum. But I'd like to share with you today, as we begin this message, a couple of words from a mother's diary. And it starts like this. The last thing I wanted to hear as I hurried the kids to get ready for church were the words I had spoken to them many times during the week. Mom, remember, patience is a virtue. (laughs) They can't remember to say thank you or where they last left their shoes, but my goodness me, they remember this, patience is a virtue. Well, I was beyond patient at this particular time. I was angry and aggravated but then also quite convicted. How easy it was to come up with such a memorable and catchy quote to use on my kids, but how hard it was for me to receive it back from them. And I'm sure that you've all heard the phrase, patience is a virtue. So what's the deal with this? What are we going to learn today about this? And I hope you can stay with me as we explore this concept. Not only mums, but dads as well. In fact, let's make that all of us, eh? 
To start, let us go back in time from our passage today that was just read to us from Faye. Just a little bit. We'll go back a little bit. Remember from last week, Joseph, poor Joseph, was thrown into prison because of Potiphar's wife. Now, when in prison, he interpreted a dream for the king's king's cupbearer, and we read that in chapter 40, who was placed in custody for offending the king. And as per Joseph's interpretation, the bloke was released and restored to his position as the king's cupbearer. And he promised to put in a good word to the king for Joseph. Now, I reckon at that time, I reckon Joseph would have been really, really excited, don't you think? Probably telling everyone, you won't believe what happened to me last week. I interpreted a troubling dream for Pharaoh's cupbearer. He was so grateful for the positive interpretation that he promised to help me. He's now back in Pharaoh's palace serving the king and he promised if he got back there, he'd use his influence to get me out. I know God is in this. You can see Joseph saying that, couldn't you, right at that moment. Isn't God wonderful? Can you believe it? This is more than a coincidence. This is a God incident. I'm just praising God today. But what happened? What happened? The cupbearer, he forgot Joseph. The one long shot that Joseph had for a pardon just evaporated. And you know what? Isn't it amazing how long we can remember an offence and how quickly we can forget a favour. The cupbearer went back to Pharaoh's palace and forgot about Joseph in prison. Now, just so that you know that I'm not telling you a big furphy, I want you to read with me up on the screen. Can you read this with me? Genesis 40, verse 23. The chief cupbearer, however, did not remember Joseph. He forgot him. These are tragic words, in a sense. To be forgotten by someone for whom you've done a big favour and from whom you've asked only a little favour in return, only to be ignored. Very hurtful. Especially when you add the whole episode for Joseph of the false accusation and unjust imprisonment. It was bad enough that Joseph was mistreated, falsely accused and unfairly imprisoned, but now it is all compounded by being forgotten. For Joseph, the cupbearer's memory lapse could have been the straw that broke the camel's back. Now keep in mind that Joseph did not know the rest of the story like we do. For all Joseph knew, he was going to be in prison the rest of his life. But despite all the reasons for discouragement, Joseph, what did he do? He held on. The one ray of hope he had was the boyhood vision that one day his brothers would bow down to him. But with God, a thousand years, you know what, is like a day. God was slowly, can I say, preparing Joseph, developing his character, getting him ready for a perfectly timed promotion. So righto, let's get into today's passage. Chapter 41 begins with this. When two full Years had passed. I want you to, if you've got your Bibles with you, underline that phrase, when two full years had passed. Now, the Bible contains a number of examples of people who had to wait on God. Noah waited in the ark for months, didn't he, for the earth to dry. Abraham and Sarah waited 25 years to have a child. 
Moses tended sheep in the wilderness for 40 years. David waited for more than a decade before, between the time he was promised, he was anointed by Samuel and the day he was crowned king. It was more than 10 years, 10 years between the time Saul of Tarsus met Jesus on the Damascus Road and his first missionary trip. But here we have Joseph who waited in prison for two full years. Now the message this morning is entitled Life's Waiting Room. And in Joseph's case, the title I believe I believe morphs into something a little bit more, and that is that trusting God when everything looks bleak. So the lesson in the passage today I want to take I want you to take with you, there's a bit more to come, but you know. We can't always rely on other people. and We've, we've all learnt that in, in life's navigation and doing life. But we can always rely on God. And this will emphasise um, that lesson for us today as we look into this. So while we would all agree with that, that premise up there on the screen, I think the challenge for us is waiting for God to act. Waiting for his time and his ways. Or to put it another way, the challenge for us is simply this, patience, isn't it? Time can often seem so long under a Joseph-type circumstance. Each day for the next two years, I reckon, must have seemed like eternity for Joseph. If you're like me, it always does feel like an eternity when you're waiting for something. And can I say today, patience involves two things. You might want to drop these down if you've got a pen, but um, you can look it online again. But... uh, Patience involves trusting God that he truly knows and cares about your situation. And number two, waiting on God until he remedies the situation or shows you what course of action to take. Now, the last sentence of Genesis 40 conveys the grief of Joseph's situation. The absolute abandonment by any human advocate or friend. His complete aloneness and helplessness. But now after two full years, I think the storyteller wants us to hear that word full. Two full years. After Joseph had correctly interpreted the chief butler's dream and after the chief butler was reinstated to his former position, surely Joseph must have concluded that this was the answer to his prayers, that soon He would be vindicated and released. But yeah, it took two years. I think I've made the point. Because what a surprise and disappointment that must have been all in once. We have to be, I believe, so careful in interpreting circumstances, you and I. We can be so wrong so easily. We can so easily connect the dots that God hasn't connected. I've been down that road. What looks to us like a slam dunk, a no-brainer, so often turns out to be not so. And when that happens, we start, you know what, we start to either question ourselves or that of God. Now, two years is awfully long in anyone's counting, especially in prison, especially when you're there because of injustice and false accusations. And especially when you know you're innocent and there is one person on the outside who knows you're innocent and on whom you are fully dependent to say a word for you to the right person at the right time, 
Talk about helplessness. No control over that. And we may well ask this question, and I have. What kept Joseph going? Now, I think Joseph knew the reality of his youthful dreams. He knew they were a revelation from God that one day he would rule and others would bow down to him. And he trusted God, you know. He trusted God that somehow he would make that come about. And like Joseph, we get a lesson from this. I think at times we need something to cling to, especially in difficult times. I remember at the beginning of my first ministry, telling someone about how God had led me step by step into it. And that person replied, Don't ever forget, Miles, how God has led you because there will come times when you need to cling on to that memory, that certainty. And that has turned out to be so true. And I think that applies to any trials and tests that we all face from time to time as we navigate life. We need to always go back to the solid foundation, the experiences with God that have brought us to a point. Remember Jacob? That was Bethel where he met God in a vivid dream. Genesis 28 says, Surely the Lord is in this place. For Joshua, it was Gilgal. For Moses, it was probably Sinai. And can I say that we need to be rooted not only in the word of God, but also in the works of God in our lives so that we can go back when things get tough. The Israelites, yeah, they were constantly reminded of what God had done, his mighty acts in creation and redemption. That's what kept them going. And we need to be reminded that, that the God who delivered them can and does and will deliver us. So here's the thing. Here's the thing when in life's waiting room. Just when things look hopeless, God steps in. And Joseph, in this particular case, got a break. The first step in Joseph's big break, as was read to us today, was Pharaoh's two dreams. When Pharaoh saw the pattern in the two dreams, he rightly concluded that this spells T-R-O-U-B-L-E, trouble. He basically thought there must be some deeper meaning here. This isn't a coincidence. So we read in verse 8, he sent for all the magicians of Egypt and all its wise men, and the Pharaoh told them his dreams, but there was no one who could interpret them for Pharaoh. No one. That's break number one for Joseph. What was next? The second break for Joseph was the cupbearer's memory returns. Hallelujah. The chief cupbearer tells Pharaoh about his dream in prison and how, in verse 41, 10 to 13, a young Hebrew man was, us, was with us there, a servant of the captain of the guard, interpreted our dreams for us, he said, and it came to pass just as he interpreted, so it happened. So, cupbearer's memory returned 
And just what Joseph had hoped for two years earlier finally came to pass. So what do we learn about patience from this experience of Joseph? I mentioned at the start that patience, a great virtue by the way, involves two things. Trusting God, waiting on God. So when things look hopeless, God steps in. And when God steps in, he often acts beyond our expectations. And I want to give you today five takeaways with you to take with you into this week and into the days ahead that can help you in life's waiting room, I believe. I'm sure there'll be others that you experience and know of as well. But here's a good start. First one, waiting is a matter of trusting God. It seems that so far in Joseph's life, his trust in God increased as the waiting stretched from days to weeks to months to years. When he was younger, his confidence seemed to be in himself, not God. It was all about him. We read a number of weeks ago from Genesis 37 verse 9. I'll just read it to you again and just look at the pronouns. My sheaf arose and stood upright, and your sheaves stood all around and bowed down to my sheaf. I have dreamed another dream, and this time the sun and the moon and the eleven stars bowed down to me. And we know Joseph's story a little bit there. He's got a bit cocky and a few things like that with his attitude. But after he had been taken down a peg or two by being sold as a slave to Egypt, Joseph's attitude seemed to change. As we move through Genesis, the wording and the tone of the story changes. It's not about me anymore, so to speak, but God. It's no longer, look how handsome I am, look how great I am, look at how pretty my coat is. But now it is, Genesis 39.9, how can I do this great wickedness and sin against God, Joseph says. In Genesis 39.2-4, the Lord was with Joseph and Joseph found favour in the sight of God. And Genesis 41, 16, a little bit further on from our passage today, it is not me. God will give Pharaoh a favourable answer when he's talking to Pharaoh on the throne. Joseph's life is now directed by his relationship with and his honour of God. God was in charge of his life. God was the one he serves God is the one he trusts. He certainly has learned not to trust self or others, but it is own, be it his own family, his boss, or even some of the government officials. The primary lesson we learn here is that we can't always rely on other people. Sad but true. Not everyone. But we can, can always rely on God. Takeaway number two. Let's go. In circumstances beyond our control, we learn how strong and faithful God is. I want us to go to Paul in the New Testament now just to cover this little little takeaway. God assured the Apostle Paul that his that God's strength is made perfect in our weakness. And Paul's response to that is, and I'm going to read that to you from 2 Corinthians 12, 9 to 10. Most gladly, therefore, Paul says, will I rather glorify, 
what will I rather glory in my infirmities that the power of Christ may rest upon me. Therefore, I take pleasure in infirmities, in reproaches, in necessities, in persecutions, in distresses for Christ's sake. For when I am weak, then I am strong. Hold on to that promise. Remember that in and through those tough experiences that we have from time to time in life. Paul says, Philippians 4, 12 to 13, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. In other words, up on the screen, a little bit of smaller writing, circumstances and experiences that cause us pain are the very same circumstances and experiences that give us confidence in God if we can stretch out and zoom out our perspective big enough and wide enough. Takeaway number three. As our faith grows, so God helps us display it. Wow, that's great. Note the opportunities to display our faith are often not comfortable or nice, are they? I often say that God doesn't like comfortable because we can't grow. We all like to be comfortable, don't we? It's always a good feeling. But if we're too comfortable, I don't believe we can grow through the challenges that God uh, walks with us with in and through. As Joseph's faith in God and his godly character matured, so his circumstances grew steadily worse. I'm not saying this is how it goes all the time, but just have a quick look at Joseph. How much worse could it get? His brothers, what they do? They hated him. Then they threatened to kill him. Then they sold him to the slave traders. Then he was bought by a strange man in a strange country that spoke a strange language. Then he was given work as a slave. Then things began to look up for a while. He was promoted, but all of a sudden the wheels fell off when he was, when he was cast into prison for something he hadn't done. Then things in prison looked up for a while when he was given some authority and respect. Then things looked even brighter when he interpreted the chief cupbearer's dream correctly and the cupbearer was restored to, restored to his former position in the palace, in the palace of, and had influence. Then all hopes were dashed when days stretched into weeks and weeks stretched into months and months stretched into years with no change, no word from God, no word from the cupbearer. But we see during this time Joseph's godly character matured and his faith in God deepened. And during all of this, he had numerous opportunities to display his faith, which he did. Are we doing this as God presents us opportunities? But you know what? A time did come when God said, after all of some of that, now you are ready. Now I can do something with you and through you. So hold on. God's at work. Takeaway number four. When we wait on God, he often opens up opportunities we could never have dreamed of. Now Joseph eventually went from the pits of prison to the pinnacle of power in one giant step. We could never orchestrate that kind of opportunity, could we? What prisoner would be promoted from a jail cell directly to Prime Minister. This could only be of God and that surely strengthened Joseph's faith even more. Joseph might have said, remember Moses, he did, I'm not able to do this job. 
I have no training. I don't know the culture. I don't know the language that well. I have no contacts. I've never built a management team in my life. When I told my brothers that one day I would be great, they laughed at me and hated me so much that they wanted to kill me. But he didn't because he had absolute, absolute, absolute confidence in God that this was of God. So last one. Number five takeaway. Through difficult experiences, we develop in maturity. In these 13 years of Joseph's life that we have studied so far, we have seen Joseph progress from a naive, proud, favourite son, but hated brother, to a wise, discerning, faithful, humble, but confident servant of God. What a wonderful perspective Joseph had on life and his own life experiences. He evidently saw false accusations, injustice and hatred and abandonment and abandonment as I guess the how he could grow as a godly person. And I think our experiences that we have in doing life develop our spiritual maturity. As we see God faithfully act on our behalf, what is, what is life's waiting room to you? I believe life's waiting room is a waiting room that is just full of hope. Maybe you are languishing right now in some kind of, of prison, a dysfunctional family, a futile job, a physical limitation, or a dead-end relationship. I want to say to you this morning to be encouraged from Joseph's story. Just hold on. God is faithful. God's ways are not our ways. His thoughts are not our thoughts. His timing, drat it all sometimes, is not our timing. He will reward your faithfulness in his time. And just one last lesson before I finish up. The, the music team can come forward as we uh, get ready to uh, share in our last uh, song of praise as I just share this quick story and brief story with you. It's from a book called Good to Great. So in his book, Good to Great, Jim Collins, he's the author, tells a story of Admiral, Admiral, Admiral James Stockdale, who was a prisoner of war for eight years during the height of the Vietnam War. He was tortured more than 20 times during his imprisonment from 1965 to 1973, a long time. Stockdale lived out the war without any, any assurance that he'd ever see his family again. But after almost a decade, he was released and reunited with them. James Stockdale became a national hero. I never lost faith in the end of the story, he said. I never doubted not only that I would get out, but also that I would prevail in the end and turn the experience into the defining event of my life. Collins, the author of this book, asked James Stockdale, who didn't make it out? Oh, that's easy, Stockdale said. The optimists. The optimists? I don't understand, Collins said, now completely and utterly confused. 
The optimists, oh, they were the ones who said, we're going to be out by Christmas and Christmas would come and Christmas would go. Then they'd say, we're going to be out by Easter and Easter would come and Easter would go. And then it would be Christmas again and they died of a broken heart. Admiral Stockdale then added, this is a very important lesson. You must never confuse faith that you will prevail in the end, which you can never afford to lose, with the discipline to confront the most brutal facts of your current reality, whatever they might be. Collins added this line in his book. To this day, I carry a mental image of Stockdale admonishing the optimists. We're not getting out by Christmas. Deal with it. The Living Bible paraphrases 2 Corinthians 4, 8 to 9. Love to love to read this to you. We are pressed on every side by troubles, but not crushed and broken. We are perplexed because we don't know why things happen as they do, but we don't give up and quit. We are hunted down, but God never abandons us. We get knocked down, but we get up again and keep going. That scripture from 2 Corinthians describes Joseph, I believe. A man who got back up every time he got knocked down. A man who didn't lose heart and did his duty because he trusted God would keep his promise. So let us stand together this morning. Let's stand. And I want you to take with you today some words from Revelation chapter 3, verses 7 to 8. And it says, To the angel of the church in Philadelphia write, These are the words of him who is holy and true, who holds the key of David. Listen to this. What he opens, no one can shut. And what he shuts, no one can open. My prayer for us today is that as we wait for God to open doors, we wait patiently. Then follow where he leads with absolute confidence in him. And along the way, we can count the blessings, can't we? So let us pray and then we're going to sing together a great hymn, Count Your Many Blessings.